for the first time ever, I am preaching about giving. Technically, yes. Second time ever, I preached about this once about two hours ago. Thanks, Dad. All right, I should have changed my notes. <laughs> for the second time ever, I am preaching about giving. And I want to say something right off the bat before I go just another, another word. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, giving money does not earn you credit with God. As I preach today, the gospel of Jesus Christ is critical for getting this message right. Even if you know the Lord, if you're giving for some sort of ulterior motive, like you believe that this shows how generous you are, or you believe that God is happier with you because of what you're doing for him, that's not how you give. And so as I, as I start this message, I want to remind you that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. We believe that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can have forgiveness and joy because the sins that were an offense to God are now covered by the blood of Jesus. And so if you have come to him and confessed your sins and you are trusting in him, giving is not something you do as if God needs it. Giving is something you do because you are joyful and you are glad and you are grateful for what God has done for you. And so giving becomes a way of saying thank you to God. And it becomes an expression of worship. And I hope that as I preach this message, that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is obvious. That is the most important thing about who we are as a church and any message I preach. I pray that Jesus Christ is the center of it and that he is magnified and looks good because of how I am preaching through the word of God. With that said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And in 2010, seven years ago, my high school Sunday school teacher lost his house. He and his wife have three sons, and in 2010, the oldest was just graduating from high school. I mean, he was a senior graduating that year. So three kids and a wife, and, and I called him Friday, and I asked him, I said, how did you lose your house? These are kind of blunt questions you can get away with, if you're lucky, about a decade after it happens. And he laughed, and he said, well, it's really hard to make mortgage payments when you haven't had a job in two years. And he had been applying for work, and he never gave up applying. He applied for jobs that were similar to the job that he lost, never got one. He applied for jobs that uh, were not at all similar to what he was just desperate. Anything would do. And over and over again, he heard two things. He said the people that were interviewing him told him either, A, you are overqualified for this job, so there's no way we're going to hire you because you're going to find something better. Or they would tell him, your qualifications are too old. You haven't worked recently enough, so we have no way of knowing if you're still good at this stuff. He said the only exception to that, he heard one guy very bluntly tell him, you're a terrible manager. Which, if you want to hear you know, a guy getting kicked when he's down, out of work for two years, and then somebody says, of course I wouldn't hire you. I don't think you're any good. They lost their house. 
They didn't have any way of paying their bills, so they moved into a house in Flint that someone was abandoning. And the day they moved in, he said he and his one son put a ton of work in getting the place livable, getting it ready to live in. The day they moved in, Flint shut the water off. So they didn't have any water. Couldn't even shower. You know, go to, a, go to a job interview without showering, right? So I mention that because of this. We're, we're in the book of Philippians today, and there's this really famous verse that, I, that I'm going to preach on in just a minute here. And it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So when you lose your house and the water gets shut off and you read that verse, do you feel like the Bible is true? When it seems like God is not supplying your needs, how do you go on? Do you lose faith? I want to preach on that today, although I want to be faithful to the text of Philippians. So let me ask you, Keep that question, keep that situation in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it in a minute. And I want to be faithful to the text of Philippians today. So this, this is the last mes- second to last message from the book of Philippians. And as Paul closes the letter, he is thanking the Philippian church for their giving. And he tells them that God will meet their needs just as God has met his needs as a minister of the gospel. And as we've gone through this book, I've suggested this book is an illustration of what a joy-filled gospel partnership should look like between a church and a minister or a missionary. The church is founded when Paul preaches the gospel by the river in Philippi. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. And that church, immediately, they believe the gospel, so they share with him in the gospel. They recognize Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. They believe and they share in his message. And because they believe, they begin to support his needs in a very practical way. Some of them in the church give him a place to stay temporarily while he's staying in Philippi. And then as he moves on from that city, they send messengers over and over again, carrying him basically just financial gifts. So he could buy food, he could pay for lodgings, so that he would be free to dedicate himself to the work of the ministry. So the partnership works in a couple of ways. And in this book, he writes about 10 years, approximately 10 years after Acts chapter 16 takes place, where the church is founded. And he is writing about how they've continued that partnership. And he talks a little bit about how they have continued to share in the gospel. They have been faithful and continued to believe. He writes about how they share in his suffering. So imagine you're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is God's king on the throne and we need to worship him. And we can be right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And as you're preaching that, Paul gets thrown in jail. Which would seem to say, King Jesus doesn't seem to be taking care of his servants. How do you reconcile a guy getting thrown in jail with a gospel of victory? And Paul writes Philippians in part to let people know, you've heard I'm thrown in jail. This has actually continued to advance the gospel. And as the church itself suffers the persecution that was already evident in Acts, he says, as you suffer, you can continue to partner with me in the gospel, and your witness 
will be strong because of your faithful stand in Christ in the midst of suffering. So as he shares in suffering with them, that gospel partnership continues to be built. And you can read about those themes at the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Then in very practical ways, as they have continued to give to him financially, he sends people like Timothy to minister to the needs of the church for discipleship and growth. So another way that they maintain this partnership is with Paul sending teachers back and forth and with messengers telling him how the church is and with him writing letters like Philippians so that the church can grow as they deal with obstacles and challenges and trials as they seek to be faithful to the gospel. This letter is continuing that partnership. And now, as he closes the letter, we see more details about the practical nature of the giving that the Philippian church did to support his ministry. And it is my prayer today that as we look at these few verses, that we would learn from the generosity of the Philippian church and that we would give sacrificially and generously for the work of the ministry, both here in Holly and around the world. Not because God needs our money, but because we are grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so in joy, we give to the work to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible with you today, you can find this passage in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from verses 14 through verse 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the blue Bibles and find this passage on page 982. Or we also have large print Bibles. Those are the burgundy ones. And you can find this passage on page 1167. Read with me Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says to the church early in this chapter, in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity And here in verse 14, he picks up saying, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So this morning, we're going to see the pattern of kindness in giving. The pattern of kindness in giving. They gave in the past. They renewed their giving. And in other words, Paul is saying, for a while, the Philippian church wasn't able to get to Paul. They didn't know where he was. He didn't give them a forwarding address. Sometimes God told him to go to a place that he didn't plan on going. And in the first century world, it's hard to find people. And you can't exactly send an electronic funds transfer to an account that Paul could log into. That's not how it worked. So if you wanted to give financially to someone, you had to find a messenger. And the messenger had to be able to find the person. And for a little while, the church desired to give to Paul, but they had no opportunity. And Paul is saying, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
And so he is grateful that they were able to find him and continue this partnership. I'll remind you that Thessalonica, he says, in, in, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Well, if you flip over to Acts 16, the church is founded. They're a baby church. They've been believers for a grand total of a few days. And then just shortly after that, it says he preaches for, I think, about three Sabbaths that he goes into the synagogues before he gets in real trouble. And then he gets thrown in jail. And then he gets hauled out of town. So he's only in Philippi for maybe a month at most. And as soon as he goes to Thessalonica, Thessalonica is the very next town that he goes to. So we're not talking a matter of two, three months, a year. We're talking a matter of weeks. He leaves town and they think if he's going to be faithful in ministry, he needs money so that he doesn't have to work as a tent maker. He needs to be able to vote himself to preaching, to teaching, and to prayer. And in order to make that possible... They immediately send someone to find him and give a financial contribution. That happened somewhere around 10 years before the book of Philippians was written. And so 10 years later, Paul is saying, you still have this relationship of giving and receiving with me. And so you find that their giving was not one time, not occasional, but they had a partnership of giving and receiving that was ongoing and continual. Today, our church forms partnerships like this when we commit to support missionaries like the Finkels or the Clemmers or any one of the missionaries that you can see in our bulletin that we pray for that we support financially. We agree we will give you X amount of dollars and we give a certain amount of dollars to global ministries to support the work of the ministry in a regular, consistent, monthly way. If you have questions about that, I would encourage you to hunt down Gail Carpenter and ask him more details. He is our missions chair, and he can tell you who we support and how much, and you can keep track of what we do as a church. We want to be faithful in making partnerships like that. The example of of pastoral ministry is one, so I've been here about a year. When I was hired, I signed a contract, and I said, I will be faithful to preach and to pray for the church. I will be faithful to help lead each of our ministry teams and to provide certain things for the church. And in return, the church is faithful to meet my needs in terms of a salary and benefits. So the kind of ongoing faithful partnership that Paul and, and Philippi have, our church actually does. We still do this. And I think it's good for a moment to think about how that worked then and how it works now in our churches. And so I want to give you four biblical principles about giving. Now, for our visitors today, I want to mention, I am very committed to preaching through books of the Bible. So this is actually, like I said, technically the second time I have preached about giving, but the first time was only two hours ago. I will preach about this when the passage that I am preaching on deals with it. It also could very well be months or maybe even years before I preach about it again, depending on the book that we're going through. So in Exodus, I can tell you, it'll probably be a few months because there is a passage where God calls on them to give for the work of the building of the tabernacle. So maybe sometime in January, we'll have another message on this. But because of that, I want to take advantage of this and go ahead and show what Paul taught churches about giving. 
So that as we look at Philippians, we'll understand what their giving was like week to week and what he's thanking them for and what he's encouraging them to continue to do. To, to do that, I'm going to look at a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians and make, make some references to other parts of Scripture. So let me give you these four principles. First, they gave regularly. It wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't an emotional experience where they felt like we should give now. They committed to giving on a regular basis. We don't know how often the Philippian church was able to give to Paul because we don't know how often they were able to send a messenger that could find him. But we do know what Paul taught about how to give on a regular basis to the church. So in in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is raising money to give to the needs of the Jerusalem church. And he instructs them, he says, set aside money ahead of time. Don't wait till you're with the church to decide how much you're going to give. Collect it each week when your church meets. And this pattern of giving was observed in every church for every type of giving. And you find that it actually continued to be the pattern of how the church collects and gives for the rest of Christian history. Just just about half a century later, a guy named Justin Martyr writes about the order of service. And I, I remember the first time I read that little letter from this second century Christian, and I read it in college, and I thought, that is almost exactly like what every church I have ever been in continues to do, right down to the, the moment where people actually spend a little bit of time deliberately fellowshipping with each other. You know, some of you stand up and shake hands as, as we worship together. They did that in the second century. And Justin Martyr mentions that they actually gather together and deliberately give for different ministry purposes. So my first point is they gave regularly, they gave weekly, they gave intentionally, they decided ahead of time, weekly, how much to give. Secondly, they gave corporately, meaning individual Christians didn't just give money to people, they pooled their money together so that the church met needs together as the church, as the body of Christ. There is a place for individual giving. I will say, there are times God lays something on your heart, and I'm not saying, don't do that, just give to your church. That is not what I'm saying. There are missionaries that Lauren and I support that God laid on our heart that we wanted to give to, and we didn't go to the church and say, would you consider adding them, or would you increase? We just gave to them. So that is a a legitimate and a good way to give. But don't miss this. That's not the normal New Testament way to give. Those are more occasional things, and as God lays them on your heart, be faithful to do it. But the New Testament pattern is to give as the body of Christ for at least two reasons. First, number one, it demonstrates our unity as the body. So this is not a gift from so-and-so at First Baptist. This is a gift from First Baptist. And together, we as the body of Christ want to contribute to the work of the ministry. Secondly, it also gives us, as a body of Christ, an opportunity to decide what ministries we will support. So we have an opportunity to be united in two ways. First, in the giving of the gift, and second, in deciding what ministries to support and what ministries to continue to give to and to give even more to. So the decision-making process also demonstrates our unity. That pattern of giving is the regular pattern in New Testament worship. And I want to stress that that's why we give, and we don't emphasize it in this service. We don't ever pass a plate. There are, there are baskets that are pretty inconspicuous in the back if you want to give. But that should be part of our regular worship. That's part of how we express our gratitude to God for what he has done for us so that the gospel continues to be spread. 
Thirdly, they gave generously and sacrificially. Generously and sacrificially. Paul does say in 2 Corinthians 8.13 that people should give according to their need. He's not asking for people to give beyond what they can do. He's not saying, give so much so that you can't pay your bills. Paul never says, give until it hurts. That's not his motive. He actually says the opposite. He says, I'm not asking that you should be made poor so others can be made rich. He says, give according to your ability. But let me add this. As he wrote to the Corinthians, he describes the generosity of the Philippian church. And he says they did give beyond what they could afford. And he praises them for their sacrifice and generosity. This is not a contradiction. He's just saying, I'm not asking you to do that. That's not something you have to do. But God laid it on their hearts to be sacrificial and to give. When I looked at their finances, I thought they can't afford to give that much. They gave more. They gave it anyway. And I actually want to read that passage. If you want to turn there, it's in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 5. And you can see the tension there and how this works. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, Philippi is in Macedonia, so he's talking about the Philippian church with a few other area churches. Verse 2, he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. When was the last time you begged to be able to give for the cause of Christ? I can say in my life, I don't, I don't find myself often begging for opportunities to give away money. But the Philippian church was so eager to give to the church in Jerusalem. Paul said, I don't think you guys can afford, you know, don't worry about it. You, you guys are not well off. And they insisted. Why? Because of the joy that they had in the Lord. He says they gave themselves first to God. They were dedicated to the Lord. And then second, because of the joy that they had, it motivated them to give sacrificially. I believe that that pattern is a pattern that we need to follow. First, you experience the joy of salvation. You understand the blessing of what God has done for you. And from that joy, not out of obligation, not out of somebody guilting you into it, from the place of joy... Then you give. Can you say that you have ever given to the Lord like that? And I want to say just a second, you know, about their their sacrifice. C.S. Lewis said, if you can afford everything you would like to do, and now today that would be things like a cup of coffee at Starbucks, or it might be a vacation that you've always wanted to go on, or it might be a cable package or whatever. If you can afford everything you would like to do, you probably are not giving enough. You are not being sacrificial. And I think that's true. So when you look at your own finances, does your joy 
motivate you to give sacrificially. If not, you need to ask yourself, where is your joy? Are you pursuing joy in the things that you're actually spending your money on? Or do you take joy from the gospel, from the forgiveness of your sins? Because if you do, that joy will motivate you to give sacrificially. You'll think, I don't really need that. I really want to support the ministry of these missionaries or of this church. Joy should motivate sacrifice. Lastly, the fourth principle is they gave for multiple types of ministries. The book of Acts talks about the church meeting the needs of the poor. Paul talks about meeting the needs of widows who would have had no income. There was no such thing as Social Security back then. And and there was no way for a widow to get any sort of income to buy even her basic necessities like food. And so the church met their needs. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about how ministers of the gospel deserve to be paid for their service. So you find there's a a benevolence kind of ministry to take care of the poor people. There's also a sort of paid ministry kind of giving that takes care of the needs of pastors and missionaries. And in 1 2 Corinthians, as well as in Romans, Paul is talking about a one-time collection for the poor in Jerusalem because they were experiencing a famine. So in addition to the regular kinds of committed giving, there are also occasions where the church says, wow, this is a need that we've never anticipated that we didn't know about. So this one time, we're just going to give to alleviate this specific need. So different types of giving, different types of of ministries. And I want to say just a word very practically about how our giving works at this church. Because some of you may not know, if you just put money in that basket, all of that money goes to our general fund. Not because we care more about our general fund, but because we are very committed to people being able to direct where their money goes. So if you want to give to foreign missions, you need to put your money in a little envelope and write missions on it. Or if you want to give to benevolence, we have a fantastic food pantry here. If you want to give to support that ministry, you need to write benevolence on it. If you give online, you can also designate for each of those areas. Just regular giving will go to our general fund, and that meets the needs of our church. But it will never go to foreign missions because we want to respect your right to give to the ministries that God lays on your heart. So if you want to give to foreign missions, you need to give specifically to missions and use a little drop-down box that selects missions. I say that because it might not be obvious that that's how it works, but the first century church, the New Testament, describes giving to multiple types of ministries, and my hope is that you and I would be motivated to do the same thing. And so recognize that if you throw 20 bucks in the basket, that's good, and I'm glad that God has laid it on your heart to do that, but if you think that that goes to missions, it actually doesn't. And so I want to let you know that so that you are able to give as God lays it on your heart and as you're directed. Then, as, as Paul makes it clear here, that giving is actually not for the benefit of the church or any one ministry, but giving is actually for the good of the giver. So you can see this in verses 17 and 18 here. Read read those verses with me, and we'll see Paul's desire for the church's reward. Paul's desire for the church's reward. So we've seen the pattern of kindness and faithful giving. Now Paul's desire for their reward, verses 17 and 18. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
I think sometimes we get into the mindset that God needs our money. That if we don't give, somehow the ministry will grind to a halt. But the reality is, God does not need your money or my money. That's why we read Psalm 50 today for our scripture reading. God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own everything. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't actually need your giving. He wants us to give a sacrifice of a thankful heart. In Luke 19, you read that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the people are praising him and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the leaders of the, the religious leaders of Jerusalem tell Jesus to make the people stop. Be quiet. You know, that this is inappropriate. They're, they're, they're calling you the Messiah. And Jesus says to them, well, if they are silent, the rocks will cry out. And I believe the principle that's true in the praise of God is also true in the giving that meets the needs of the ministry. If we don't give, God will still do his work. He'll just do it without us. When Paul says, I don't desire your gift, he isn't saying that giving is unimportant. He's saying, I'm not in this for the money. I know that God is going to take care of me. But he does want them to give. He makes it incredibly clear. He wants them to give generously because their giving, when done with the right heart, is pleasing to God and God will reward them for their obedience. So when you get the order right, you experience joy, you experience thankfulness. And then from joyful thankfulness, you give that kind of giving. That's why God says, God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver is someone who knows they've been forgiven. Paul does want people to invest in eternal rewards with their money. And I pray that all of us, as a result of God's word, will invest more in ministry and reap eternal rewards. Paul ends this section on giving with a promise. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This is in part a response to what they have done in thankfulness and gratitude and generosity. Paul is saying, just as God met my needs through you, God in his perfect will and way will also meet your needs. And this is the kind of verse that pastors who are in it for the money love to quote as they ask you to give. My God will supply all your needs, so dig a little deeper. We'll pass the plate another time. But notice, Paul has said earlier in this chapter, I know how to live in abundance, and I know how to live in want. Paul is in no way saying that God meeting your needs will translate to financial blessing. If you hear someone tell you that, if they'd say, just give a seed gift, God will give it back to you. That person is abusing scripture. That is not true. God will supply your needs. But sometimes your loving heavenly father is going to let you miss a mortgage payment. And sometimes he may even let you lose your house. Sometimes your greatest need is not financial. And when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in verse 13... He is saying that God gives him strength in hardship and in want. God does not always deliver you from difficult and painful circumstances. He strengthens you through those circumstances so that you learn to depend on Christ. 
But learning how to trust God in poverty is not the point of this verse. And so I want to be faithful to the text that I'm actually preaching on here in Philippians. Look at it again with me in verse 19, where he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This means at least two things. First, the God of the universe who made everything, who owns everything, is going to meet the needs of his children. Why? Not because you or I deserve it, but because we are in Christ and his beloved son and our joyful father loves to give his children good gifts. Jesus said this too, one of my favorite verses, because it strikes me as kind of funny. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your loving heavenly father give you good gifts? Second, this verse is teaching not only will the God who owns everything supply your needs, it's saying that God will supply this in proportion to the riches of Christ. And let me remind you that Christ inherits the universe. If you have trusted the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins, God himself has pledged to bless you. We don't always feel like that's true. One of the hardest things in the Christian life is coming to grips with the love of God because we don't naturally feel it. But we have the promise that the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that God will work the events of our lives for our good. And we have this promise in Philippians that God will supply all of our needs with abundance. And if that doesn't feel true today, let me urge you to talk to the Lord about it. The Psalms are full of examples of people saying, God, this is what your word says, and my experience doesn't match up with it. Let me urge you to plead with the Lord, believing that this verse is true and wrestling with your experience. Let me urge you to call out to him in faith if that doesn't seem true to you today. And finally, don't miss this. The ultimate effect of God's blessing us is God's own eternal glory. And you can see the glory of God in meeting our needs in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, to God and, our, to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How does God supplying our needs glorify the Father? Well, first, let me remind you what glory is. Glory is whatever shows the worth or value of something else. So the glory of a touchdown is in thousands of screaming fans. The glory of Holly Donut Shop is in people driving for miles to buy their donuts. You appreciate the value of something. So you do something incredible to get it. The glory of God is something that demonstrates his power and his love. Here, as Paul celebrates God meeting his needs and in turn tells the church, God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How does that glorify God? It glorifies God because it shows the father is rich and generous. It gives him a reputation for his ability and his kindness. So when a college student asks his parents for money, it says two things. 
He believes his parents love him enough to help. And he believes his parents are able to help. Both the attitude and disposition and the ability point to the glory, in that case, of the parents. But this is even more true of God. As people give to spread the gospel, it glorifies God because it shows, in part, the value of the ministry. And God is glorified when people meet Paul's needs because it shows the value in his gospel-proclaiming ministry. God is also glorified when Paul goes through times of hardship because Paul's patience and faith and contentment show his hope in future glory. And God is glorified in the Philippian giving because their willingness to give even out of poverty shows the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it can give impoverished poor people real joy, so much so that it makes them sacrificial and generous. God is glorified when even though people gave sometimes out of their poverty, they actually were not any poorer because God supplied their needs and they praised him and that praise gives him glory. Is God glorified in your life? Especially as you think about your money. Here's the thing. When we depend on God, that shows his strength. So if you struggle financially today and you depend on God, it shows his goodness. If God gives us material blessings and we praise him, our praise brings him glory. He is shown to be strong and kind and generous. But here's the thing sometimes people miss. If we trust him when we are in need, When we lack material blessings, that gives God even more glory. If we are in poverty, sickness, and pain, and we still show our love, God is glorified. Your attitude and disposition show him to be reliable, even when no one else can understand your faith. So I I called my old Sunday school teacher yesterday, knowing that he'd lost his house, asking him for a little bit of history about what that process was like. And I asked him, I said, Was it hard for you to be a faithful Christian as you lost your house? And he said, yes and no. He said, in one sense, their faith never wavered. They never doubted that God loved them, that they they never doubted their sins were forgiven. They never doubted the gospel. But he said it was a hard time. And so I asked him, I said, do you think that you could say with all truthfulness, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? And he said, absolutely. He said, yes. He said there were times when people met his needs financially. Checks would just show up or people would just fix his car. He said he never asked for stuff, but people just knew. And so people would come over and fix his car or give him a check. And he said, not only that, not only did God supply material needs, but he said he felt like through that time, God demonstrated pride in him. That he, and I believe he was saying that, He was kind of self-reliant and self-dependent. He had a very good job. He went from making six figures to eventually when he finally got a job, he was making about 11 bucks an hour. That'll humble you. That'll humble you. And he said, I believe that God was, was doing that for me. That was meeting a very real need in my life. He said it, it corrected materialism that was in his family. And he said that was a need that they had that God met. So as God met their financial needs, 
in tiny ways that anybody else would look at and say, that's not enough. How are you guys going to make it? He met their spiritual needs in incredible ways. And to this day, he and his family are glorifying God. As I close, I want to say a word to a couple, couple different types of people that may be here today. For those of you who may not be giving enough, and then also to people who may be giving but with the wrong kind of heart. And, and kids, we're not doing children's church for a couple more weeks. If you're here today, I, I want to also say th- this isn't just for adults. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, your thankful heart for what he's done for you should manifest itself in giving whatever you can. It doesn't have to be a lot. God doesn't care about the amount. He's not poor. He doesn't need it. God cares very much about your heart. And so if you've trusted in Jesus, it doesn't matter how old you are, how much money you have, giving should be a natural way that you worship God. For those of you who are able to give and do give, where this passage hit me this past week is, Lauren and I have grown a lot in our giving since we were married. We both grew up in church. We knew that you're supposed to give. We knew kind of how much that that we thought was right and good. But when you give for a while... It's very easy for it to become second nature, kind of a habit, something that you don't think about. And perhaps even a source of pride where you say, yes, the ministry of that church depends on me. That is absolutely wrong. God's ministry depends on God. If we give, it needs to be from a heart that is grateful. And so I want to ask you, maybe you give, maybe you give generously. But could you check your heart this morning? Are you giving because you know that God loves you and your sins are forgiven? Many people give for wrong reasons. And I want to remind you today that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be at the center of everything we do. As we close, I do want to encourage people to give generously, but not for the sake of money, but because giving is a sign of a healthy, joyful, forgiven heart. On the other hand, a failure to give could be an indication of an unforgiven and greedy heart. So where is your heart? Are you giving for the right reasons? Do not give because you think God wants your money. Give because your sins are forgiven and you want to see the gospel spread. My prayer for this message is that our giving as a church would be an act of worship, that we would work hard to advance the gospel through our money. I want the Great Commission to be the heartbeat of our church, that we would make disciples and spread the gospel through children's ministry, through youth ministry, through global evangelization. And I want us to give with joy, and I would urge you to check your heart as you think about it. Philippians shows us how to get this right by knowing that God is in charge, giving to what He's already doing. And let's be careful to give him all of the glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we are not grateful and giving as we should. We pray that you would forgive us for those times when we give in a proud manner. Thank you for your forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would bless us with joyful giving hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.